Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Let's see, I just wanted to let you know what I've been diagnosed with this morning. And uh, because my wife was good enough to diagnose me this past week um, with multiple things. I just got to pull it up real quick. Sorry, just take a minute. Uh, I want you to know that I'm certainly, certainly not at my best today. Uh, see, I, I got it right here. She had to email it to me. It was literally that long of a list. Um, it's, it's here somewhere. I, okay. Um, so, so this is what I, I've been diagnosed with by my wife, who was going to be a doctor until I asked the brilliant question, well, then who's going to raise our kids? Because I, I realized that she wanted to be a mom. She could have been a great doctor. In fact, she is a great doctor according to what she sent me. So she has diagnosed me with... Uh, the, the common tongue refers to this as a man cold, which I find discriminatory and offensive. <laughs> I'm, I'm out, outraged, even, just like the rest of society, because I'm so offended. But uh, it's, it's also known more scientifically as himfluenza. <laughs> himfluenza. I have a serious case of brochitis. Bro, brochitis. Uh, Whimpering cough, Hebola virus, the Hebola, the, this is the worst one, this is the one when you wake up and you realize you have the dude-onic plague, yeah, and it's, it's what the media is referring to as a mandemic outbreak, I know, it's so sad, right, it's almost as sad as my voice sounds today, um, let's just pray, Lord, I thank you that in our weakness, it's your favorite place to perfect your strength. And so today, as we talk through your word, and as we consider what you might have to say to our hearts, I pray that we would be open to you, Holy Spirit, and that you would speak clearly to us. Father, that you would take uh, what is broken and imperfect this morning and make it perfectly aligned with your will. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, well, as we've talked about already, the title of our new series is, Is He? Question mark. And today we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus is peace. And this is a, an interesting, because the Bible makes a lot of strong claims about Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus makes some very strong claims about Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand that in the world today, there is a difference between what people say about Jesus and what the Bible says about Jesus. And there's a lot of misrepresentation that goes on, but, but one of the things I want us to be clear on in this season especially is that Jesus is peace. Of course, uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And the fact that Jesus is peace can be contested logically by a number of things we see in Scripture. That is to say that we would not be out of alignment with sound reason to look at the life of Jesus and say, really, peace? Because there's a lot of conflict that surrounded Jesus all the time, which by the end of this morning's message you're going to understand is the defining reality. But if he was such a man of peace, why did he have to die a criminal's death? Uh, that seems contradictory. Why did Jesus disturb the so-called peace wherever he went? 
Everywhere he went, there were disruptions. People started arguing. You know, there was, there was murmuring, and it was difficult, uh, kind of wherever he showed up. Um, why did his, if, if Jesus was such a ruler of peace, the prince of peace, if he was so peace-filled, why did his disciples argue and, and even become prone to acts of violence from time to time? The Bible says that his disciples argued among each other. Peter chopped a guy's ear off. Um, why did it matter? Or, or why did the master of peace, the prince of peace, why did he shed drops of blood? Why, did, why does he sweat that way? And what kind of peace is that? That, that you're so stressed out that your body begins to hemorrhage. That, that's a weird one. Um, and um, why on the day of his death did the earth shake? Why on the day of his death did the veil of the temper, temple sorry, be violently, why was it violently ripped in half? Um, why did he have political and religious adversaries that ultimately were the ones who took responsibility for making sure that he was put to death. And you might recall something from a couple of weeks back. In fact, it was the, the, the day before Remembrance Day. And I made a statement in that message. And I'm sure that it's a, it's a statement or a sentiment that has been made by better people than myself uh, throughout history somewhere in the world. But I, I can't recall or find someone who said it. But, but I think I know this and we know this to be a truth. And, and the statement was this, very simply, peace can only exist where there is authority. Peace can only exist where there is authority. And I challenged you then to think on that just a little bit when we considered the sacrifice of men and women who have served in the military forces and who still serve today. Um, peace can only exist where there is authority. And we need to start from some form of reality with this conversation because even the word peace has become very twisted and misrepresented uh, today in our world. Um, the word peace can even be treated with a sort of contempt. Um, I'll give you, well, and even in some cases, peace, peace can be treated with violence. Um, if you recall different times in history, there, there were things called peace protests which the intent of was to stop a war somewhere, but the peace protest eventually turned into violence and rioting in the streets. And we see that today, these so-called peaceful assemblies, which are to demonstrate one thing or another, we see violence become a rather normal part of what's going on. <coughs> Excuse me. But understand this. When we're going to understand peace in the fullness of what it is, we need to understand always that peace always exists in some kind of tension. And that's not the image we take into our mind most often. But I just want to, to help you imagine this this morning. Everybody, my favorite place is the first lake at Two Lakes. Because I've been there many times as a teenager, as a young adult, and it doesn't happen very often where the wind is not blowing through that particular valley in the mountains. But every once in a while, there is this evening where it is perfectly still, perfectly calm. And the water gets perfectly flat, and you can see fish rippling all over. It's a, it's a trout lake. And uh, one of the best times to be alive is to, is to get out on water like that. And, and you can probably picture your place. You probably can find a place in your mind. It doesn't have to be a lake, but... Uh, but you, you can just imagine something that is perfectly flat. For those of you who are hardcore water ski bums from the 80s, 
You know, I'm thinking of Joe Hess when I say this. Just strikes me as a guy who probably was a brilliant water ski maniac, possibly, mono skier. Is that true, Joe? Were you that guy? No, not at all? Okay, well, Randy was. My dad was. I mean, we're talking about the onesie wetsuit and everything. Um, and, uh, but, there, but there are those nights where everything just calms and the water is like glass. Can you picture this? Can you picture water like glass somewhere beautiful, somewhere that you want to be, somewhere that you have found what we would call peace? You know what I'm talking about? There's a loon in the background. Jake, and you should have been here already with the loon sound, Mr. Q. Um, but, but I want you, as you imagine this place of placid, calm, serenity, imagine it, and now I'm going to ask you, can you see the violence in it? And anybody, anybody think of the word violence in my description so far? Probably not. But there is. There's incredible violence taking place in that serene calm. You see, because what's happening on the calmness on the surface of that water is something called surface tension. Everyone say the word tension. But it's peaceful and serene. But there's something on the surface of that water called surface tension. And, and water as a molecule, as a, as a structure, is really attracted to itself. So it likes to stick together. And, and if you remember back to junior high science, probably for most of you, I don't know when they teach it or if they teach it now, um, but grade eight, okay, I'm glad we teach science still. That's a good thing. But we have surface tension. And, and, and there is actually a violent force at work in the calmness of that water. It, it, tremendous forces are being applied for it to lay as it lays. Gravity, for instance, is holding on to that water. And gravity is pulling it down with a force that is based somewhere on about 9.81 meters uh, per second squared. Now, it's hard to measure gravity, but that would be known as 1G. So gravity is holding that water down. And, you know, the higher something gets to a certain extent, the more or the harder you will, the more force is revealed of what gravity is capable of. But gravity is a pretty violent force, especially when you consider the stop at the end, right? But remember, we're looking at a calm, serene, placid lake. It's beautiful. There's no wind. There's almost no sound other than the loon. Still no loon. Uh, I, don't know. I don't know what happened. I thought he'd be ready. Ah, there we go. There's the loon. Now you can picture it perfectly. All right. Little, little trout just breaking the surface here and there. Oh, okay. Splish, splash. Okay. You, guys, you guys need to take up fly fishing and understand what I'm talking about. Um, anyways, so, so as we're imagining this, and I'm saying there's this violence, so there's gravity. And gravity pours down on that water, and that water lays perfectly flat, except that it doesn't lay perfectly flat. The water's not flat at all. It looks flat, but because of surface tension, we know that water can form little mounds or droplets. And it and actually is just ever so slightly curved over as gravity is pulling it down and pulling it inwards. Surface tension is holding it one connection to the other. And that, that reality that water likes itself um, is measured by something. We, we measure the surface tension of water in something called dynes, D-Y-N-E-S. And there are a certain number of dynes that, 
that water surface, the surface tension of water can take, and it's actually 72 dynes per centimeter, is just enough to break the tension of water. Now, I don't know who would venture a guess, but maybe Mr. Sutherland knows, uh, what is 72 dynes? In relation to anything else you know in this world, what is 72 dynes? Doesn't even know. Hey, I'm smarter than the science teacher right now. This is amazing. First time it's ever happened. I'm so proud of myself. Uh, thank, thank, goodness that, thank goodness that we have Google, right? Because any one of you can be as smart as Mr. Sutherland today with Google. I'm just kidding. It's not true. But you can be as smart as Dr. Bolton, so don't worry about anything else, right? YouTube will answer all your questions. WebMD. I mean, I've been diagnosed with eight or nine different things by my lovely wife, so it's all good. Um, but just to, just to put this into perspective, we're talking about the force of gravity pulling down. We're talking about this amazing power of water to have surface tension, and it's 72 dynes per uh, per centimeter. Now, just so you understand this, 72 dyne is equivalent to 0.734 and about nine other numbers, grams. You know what a gram is? I know what a gram is. That's a gram, but I'm talking about a gram. And a gram is one of the smaller units of measurement, uh, of course, we have, which is a thousandth of a kilogram. You know, you, right? I know some of you are older, and maybe I have to explain the metric, but kilo is a thousand grams. So, kilogram. So, one gram is one one thousandth of a kilogram. But, but 72 dynes isn't even a gram, it's only three quarters of a gram. And so, this beautiful, amazing, serene lake that is so wonderful, and, and I'm telling you, is actually violent in everything that's going on under the surface of the water. Forces of nature, fish, there's life under there. There's microbes attacking each other. There is, there is a, a, an amazing amount of activity going on under this seemingly calm. And that can be broken by something as small as one quarter of a gram on that one centimeter of water. And you say, well, that doesn't seem very significant when we're talking about the power or the force of these things. Well, here's what's amazing. If a human being was to jump onto that flat, perfectly calm-looking water from the height of about 100 meters, and specifically if they landed in the full-face position, also known as a belly flop, the force of that impact would likely be enough to kill them. Likely be enough to kill them. And it might seem insignificant when we talk about the surface tension of water and how it's held down by gravity and how water can relate to itself and everything is seemingly calm, but in that calm, there's a tremendous amount of stored energy, there's a tremendous amount of pressure, and there's a tremendous amount of response whenever something happens. And you see, what we, for, what we take as peaceful, we fail to recognize is absolutely not simply peaceful. What I'm trying to put into your mind today is that wherever there is peace, there is a law or multiple laws that are established to allow it to exist in the manner that it does. Violence is all around us right now. It's important for us to understand, but I want to I I say this. We tend to think peace is the absence of violence. And if I was to ask you to admit openly, what are the first sentences that come to mind? I think a lot of us would say, well, peace is, it's the absence of violence. But in fact, 
There is nowhere in nature that we observe that. And so peace occurs not in the absence of violence, but peace occurs in the presence of violence. And by the way, violence isn't the big horrible word you suppose it is either. See, that's because of the natural laws that, as our scientific community calls it, the natural law, as I would call the sustaining power of the word of God. (coughs) That tell water and gravity how everything is going to go down on your calm, placid, beautiful, serene, peaceful lake. And the violence that's all around us right now is stark and awe-inspiring. Right now in your body, there are tremendous forces holding you together. There are tremendous forces at work to cause blood to pump through your body. There are active wars going on right now in your body and mine. Right now in my body, there are millions of white blood cells on a search-and-destroy mission looking for anything foreign to my body. And their, their existence is only justified as long as they are willing to fight, kill, and destroy anything that shouldn't be in the system of who I was created to be. And so while your friend, you might look all peaceful and serene, while you might feel peaceful and serene, the reality is is inside of you, there are God-inspired acts of violence taking place the whole time. Now, in no way should you try to represent or misrepresent what I'm saying, that the church or any religion would be justified in promoting outward violence. We simply need to come back to a very simple and observable truth, and that is all peace is going to be established in authority, and all peace will be established and exists in the presence of violence. There's no contrast for peace outside of violence. Nowhere else can I observe this. I, I can't observe a place in this world where peace is evident and there is nothing else going on. There's always tension. There's always pushing and there's always poet. Now, for the record, I'm not trying to make sense or attempting to make sense for you today all of the whys that come to mind when we deal with the conflict or, as I've used the term, violence in our lives, when we talk about illness. We could ask whys about cancer. We could ask whys about why people die young or why people... My question is, because I think one of the cruelest things is human beings getting old. That's a hard thing to watch. It's, it's, it's terrible. You know, we start out in diapers. We leave this world in diapers. And I don't know. It just doesn't seem all that appealing to me sometimes to get really, really, really old. But nonetheless, it's the existence that we are in, regardless of what you believe about your creator today. And you can reason it away based on this or that, or we can reason him away, or we can attempt to reason God away. But the reality is, even removing him, we're still left with the same question when it comes to why. So I'm not attempting to answer or make sense of the why. I just want to adjust our scope on what peace is. And by the way, I can put a similar spin on violence. And while we abhor violence on one hand, we also see beauty in it many other times. Well, what can you be talking about, Pastor Trav? Well, have you ever been to the ocean? Or have you ever seen a painting of an ocean? One of artists' favorite thing to capture about an ocean is a huge wave which is full of weight and energy crashing on rocks. That is one of the more violent things you will see in this world. And it's beautiful, isn't it? It's magnificent. It's awful and inspiring at the same time. 
watching energy be converted, watching energy change forms, watching energy destroy, watching energy be gathered back up and taken back out to sea. It's amazing, this world that we live in. But all around us, it's full of violence. And the moments that we appreciate are the moments when we sense peace. And for the record, I know people, because I'm like that, I could go and sit by the ocean and watch waves crashing and feel a tremendous sense of peace even though I'm watching something that is literally violent. Now stick with me, because I'm not talking about you being able to justify watching gratuitous violence in movies or anything like that. We're we're drawing a, a simple line here to help us have a basis for understanding our Heavenly Father a little bit more. Artists attempt to capture these tensions all the time. And what's amazing to me is it's the tension that brings us peace. Have you ever been really, really stressed out? Yes, you have. You can put up your hand. No, nobody in this church. That's how great of a church it is. We're never stressed here. <clears throat> you know, one of the best things for you when you're stretched out or st- stressed out is to stretch out. Who, who's ever stretched out in your life? Anybody notice that as you allow your body's tension to work against itself, that you feel better? I know it hurts sometimes. It hurts really bad sometimes to stretch for stress. But, but what happens is we work the tension of our body against itself as we experience something we could call peace. We, we, we experience something we could call relief. We could experience something we call satisfaction. All because we have learned to find where peace is in the tension. Now I realize I, I'm using literal statements or very, uh, very real life applications for something that could be considered very philosophical. But the problem we have is that we stay so philosophical we forget what was real. And so when we talk about stretching our bodies to relieve tension, we're talking about something that is tangible and real and in no way philosophical. And we need to understand this about God, that God does not exist in philosophy but in reality. And when we can understand that our Heavenly Father exists not as a philosophy but in a reality, the way he can apply his goodness to our lives begins to come, become something entirely different. Now, if we live in a world that is filled with violence and if we live in a place that is filled with violence, for good or for bad, and we can experience peace, well, why? Or maybe the right question is who? Why is it that we find peace? Well, the why is because of a who. Colossians 3.15 says something very important. It says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now, part of the problem we have with authority is that we always assume authority is going to come over us by force. But how many of you realize that the best kind of authority doesn't come by force at all? It comes by a word we call submission. See, the best kind of authority is the authority that I'm submitted under. Because then it is not authoritarian in its nature. It's just simply authority in its nature. And I am not rebellious when I am submitted in my nature. And what I want you to understand is about this, about this passage is let the peace of Christ rule you. As much as Christ and rule might be very important words, i got to tell you there's a more important one from our perspective. What is it? Let. Let the peace of Christ rule your 
heart. Because a man convinced against his will is not convinced at all. And I know there's a rhyme that goes with that. I just can't remember it right now. Let the peace of Christ rule in you, in your heart. And then it says something to, to which indeed you were called in one body. What were you called to? You were called to let the peace of Christ rule. And I think what happens to us is when we live in a world that is so full of contempt and malice and strife, and so lacking in peace, and we become philosophical in our responses, we miss the everyday, plain, old, plain Jane, old, ordinary ways that we can experience the peace of Jesus. Is he peace? Well, yeah. He is the owner and the author of peace. It's his. It's his deal. And it's his rule. And we were called to live in that peace, to allow that peace to rule in us, in our bodies, to rule in us as one body. And that will allow us to be thankful. <clears throat> we must let and we must have peace rule. 1 Peter 3.11 in the NLT says, Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Turn and do. Turn and do. Search and work. Important words in the thought of God, wouldn't you say? Isn't it important to understand that in order to do good, we first must turn away from evil? Well, that's not a common thing in anyone's philosophy anymore. We think that somehow, if we do enough evil, it could turn into something good because we misalign or misrepresent the Scripture that says, well, God is working all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Well, the good of those who love God is very different from the good of those who love themselves. And the good that we are called to aspire to as people who claim to follow Jesus is a good based in His righteousness and His heart for this world. And so we need to turn away from evil, or I might even say it this way, turn away from what you always thought was good and do something that He says is good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. You know, one of the best promises that God makes is that he says in, uh, in the book of Jeremiah 29, 13, that you should search for me because you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. And that's an awesome promise for us to hold on to. What does that say in the application for today? Well, if we turn away from evil and do good and we search for peace, I would say because of what the Word of God says, that if He is peace and we search for peace with all our heart, will we not find peace? You see, but we need to keep this in the perspective of turning away from our own way, turning away from our own path. And I know none of us like to hear that our way is evil, but God's Word reminds us that our way is evil. That we formerly were haters of God. Romans 14, 17 to 19. It says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. 
Sometimes we make Christmas about eating and drinking and giving gifts and, and all the other great traditions that go with it. And I certainly would not try to subject you to a religious way of thinking about this. But the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It is righteousness. So if the, the scripture says it this plainly, the kingdom of God is not, but then gives us the alternative, we'd be foolish not to understand the alternative is quite literal. Okay? The kingdom of God is not, therefore the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now there's two ways you can read this. You, like many people, might read this. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. But there's nothing in the punctuation of this thought that causes us to read it that way. In fact, if you really want to understand it, just read it this way with me. But the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness in the Holy Spirit and peace in the Holy Spirit and joy in the Holy Spirit. And part of our problem is that we attempt to live and move and have our being apart from the person of the Holy Spirit, and it's impossible. You, you can't do it because you can't divide who God is. I can't do it, and I probably have tried if I wanted to be totally open and honest. But I've probably tried over times in my life to divide that out, to divide that ever-present reality of the Spirit of God from who I am or where I am in the moment. And what I find is that I, I can't. But what I know because of the Spirit of God is that righteousness is mine and peace is mine and joy is mine in and through the Holy Spirit. It goes on to say, for he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. How many of you like the approval of men? Oh, come on. We all do. I know what, we'd all be happy driving way older vehicles and living in way shabbier houses, right? And I'm not saying that the approval of men is a bad thing because Scripture is not saying the approval of men is a bad thing right here. Not at all. Our problem lies in what we think wins true approval from people. And the approval that we want to have for men is the approval that's acceptable to God. And, and you know what God wants? You know what God wants for us? He wants us to have the peace of Jesus. Jesus said, my peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. He has a different strain of peace for us. He has a different reality of peace. He has a different truth of peace for us. And, and we do well to consider how that might be developed in our life in this season. It might serve us and be profitable to us to consider as we leave this place this week and invite Jesus to become the Prince of Peace in our heart once again. To help us to understand the dynamic, the truth, the reality of his peace as we exist in this world. You know, I could give you probably another 25 scriptures that will help us establish this point. I just want us to take away today 
There is no way on this earth that you're going to go anywhere without tension in your life. You will have tension. Everybody's family has at least one crazy person in it. That's right. Amen. Look to your left, look to your right. If neither of those people are crazy, guess who is? Might be me. It was me all along. I wish somebody would have told me, right? No. We, we all have crazy in our families. From time to time, your spouse, my spouse, my, my spouse's spouse gets crazy and causes tension in a relationship. Oh, you see what I did there? Good. The spouse of my spouse, which would be me, right? Okay, just making sure you're all with us still. There, there's no way to avoid tension. And let me just take it one step further. There's no way to avoid violence. I'm not talking about people waving AK-47s in the air. I'm not talking about the Islamic State. I'm not talking about those kinds of violence. I'm talking about the violence that exists in our everyday walk in this world. And that violence can be emotional. That violence can be psychological. And the reality is that as long as we walk in this world in the presence of sin, we will live in the presence of violence. And I know we don't like to use that word, but maybe it would change our perspective just a little bit if we accept it for what it is. If you struggle with mental illness which I do from time to time especially. You will understand me when I say this, that sometimes in the deepest, darkest places of, of depression, it's like you're being mentally raped over and over. And only people who go through that kind of depression and only people who have been raped will understand that. But explain to me how that's not violent. Mental illness is one of the most violent realities of our world today. It is destroying people's lives. We have people killing themselves at unprecedented rates. Why? Because of inner violence. Because of the violence that's on the inside of us. And why, Pastor Trav, you might say, is that violence there? Well, the Word of God says the violence is there because of our sin. And that doesn't mean it's your fault that there's violence in you. It just means that you live in the presence of sin. And as a result, we are exposed to the violence of sin. The good news is that the Prince of Peace came born in the form, in the shape, in the containment of a baby. When was the last time you looked at a sleeping baby and did not think of peaceful? See, he came as the Prince of Peace and he is the Prince of Peace. And he will always be the Prince of Peace. The question is, is are we going to let him rule? Are we going to turn from the way we want to do it and look at the way he wants us to do it? Are we able to understand that it's only in the person of the Holy Spirit that we can walk this out in the way that pleases God and will give us honor in front of men? Are we able to understand that the peace that Jesus is, the peace that Jesus offers us is established, truly established in the authority of who he is? 
See, if we can solidify our thinking around the absolute truth of who Jesus says he is, if we can solidify or cement our minds to the absolute truth of what Scripture says Jesus is, we can walk through this world in a different way than anyone else can. Why? Because we'll know the truth, and the truth will begin to set us free. Because when we confront ourselves with the truth and we allow his peace to reign in our heart, we allow his peace to walk us through the difficulty we have turning from our own way. When we allow his peace to let us become repentant, when we allow his peace to be the strength that allows us to turn from sin, when we allow his peace to be the strength that lets you say sorry to your wife or kids, we have what's called a breakthrough. And little by little, in that breakthrough, our mind becomes transformed from the pattern of this world. And as our mind is transformed from the pattern of this world, guess what God's word says? It says that we become those who know the perfect will of God. It's an amazing journey of transformation. And it all starts with embracing the truth that Jesus is the Prince of Peace and he was sent to a violent world, not violent in the sense of warring nations, but in the sense of the violence sin brings to our own hearts. For each and every human being that has drawn breath or that ever will draw breath. Is Jesus peace? Is he? Is he peace? He is if you let him. I want to pray for you this morning. Invite the worship team to come back. We're going to sing one last song, just like we always do. And you know, I don't know exactly where you're at here today. I'm glad that you came. Um, And I hope that the Holy Spirit's going to say something to you through, through all of the scratchy, broken sounds today. There's a place where we can open our hearts right now, and that's by asking him to speak to us. I told you a few moments ago that God says when we search for him, we'll find him when we search for him with our whole hearts. And right now in this moment, I want to invite you to begin to search for him with all your heart. And the way we can begin that search today is just to ask one very simple question. And the question is this, Holy Spirit, do you want me to do anything with what I've heard today? Father, I pray that you would encourage each person here right now, Lord, that you would fill every heart that needs courage right now with your courage and your strength. Jesus, that you would become our Prince of Peace in this moment as we yield our hearts and lives to you. Thank you for the cross, Jesus. Thank you that you laid down your life for us. Amen. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.